following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Alan Gilman again for All Saints Lutheran Church for September the 20th, 2020. Last week we met indoors for the first time since March after four weeks of good enough weather to meet outside. We're hoping to be outside again this weekend. Of course, I don't know when you're watching this. You could be watching it the night before or during or the day after. But uh, on September the 20th, at this point, we're planning to meet outside. It might be a little chilly, but we should be able to do it. And, of course, we'll be keeping you up to date with um, how things are going with that. We, as I said, we met indoors last time. It went pretty well. We had a few hiccups trying to get used to doing things differently. And um, hopefully things will run a little smoother the next time we're indoors. I've announced that starting this coming Wednesday, September the 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we're going to be doing a Bible study. We're going to base the Bible studies on these messages that that I do on on the weekends and the the pass the relevant passages that I I speak about uh, in these messages. And so, if you're interested, the uh, registration form you need to register because we're going to be doing this on Zoom for the time being. And so, I'm going to put a link to the registration form in the description of this video. And of course, whether it's about the Bible study or anything else, please feel free to contact me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, which I've entitled The Remarkable Gospel. And we're currently in a, a section that began when Jesus came into Jerusalem, came in with a lot of fanfare, messianic expectation, and I'm, I won't rehash everything from even this this section. You could listen to the past sermons that are uh, that are posted. Um, but last week and this week, we're looking particularly at a set of teachings which I've entitled the subversive gospel. So Jesus' teaching is a very, in, in some ways, it seems very kind of very in your face, but actually it's quite subtle. Some of the things that he teaches, they have huge impact if you get the message. And they're not, the messages aren't totally clear. They're not totally cryptic. They're not a puzzle to figure out, but you really do have to pay attention. And I think we're going to see that again this week as we look at the next few verses in Mark chapter 12. We're looking at verses 13 through 17. Uh, so last week and this week, I'm calling this the subversive gospel. This is the subversive gospel part two. And um, we're going to start by reading the same section that we read last time. We're going to read Mark 11, verse 27, through chapter 12 and verse 17. And then we'll be focusing on those last five verses, verses 13 through 17. So let's do that. Mark 11, verse 27 through chapter 12 and verse 17. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by, by what authority by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. 
And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and whose inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, and they marveled at him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So something very subversive happens as Jesus answers this question put to him. It's a challenge, actually, um, from from some people. We're going we're gonna to look at who they are in a second. Um, and um, I've given another title to this section, and it's Jesus Turns the Table on a Political Trap. So they try to trap him, and he turns the table on them. So let's see what happens. Verse 13 again. And they, that's the temple leadership that we were introduced earlier uh, in this section. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. So these two groups, we're very used to hearing about the Pharisees. We've seen the Herodians once before. So remember, the Pharisees were a a popular grassroots religious movement of keeners. They didn't have much political power. Uh, They were... They saw things very differently from the the main temple leadership, from the other the priest, the priestly class, normally referred to as the Sadducees. Their theology, in many ways, their understanding of the world was very similar to that of Jesus, and, and was quite biblical. But they had innovations that that they added 
to God's word that made following God very difficult for the people. Uh, But they were very keen that the people of Israel would return to God and take following God very seriously. But they actually went overboard, which, you know, often we think that uh, extreme good is a good thing, but actually extreme good, any extreme, if it is, is not right. And, and God wants us to be following him according to his word and, and adding things to it often isn't very helpful. I don't want to go further down that tangent. And so, um, the temple leadership, after being confronted by Jesus in the parable of the tenants that we saw last time, send these two groups of people. The Pharisees, these are the, the very religious keeners, and this other group called the Herodians. And the Herodians seemed to be a group of people that longed for the restoration of the Herodian dynasty. So in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is born, Herod the Great is king over the Roman province of Judea. And basically the Romans left him alone to rule and uh, he left quite an imprint that the temple was one of his grandest architectural um, uh, feats that, that he did, but he built great things all over the country that you can still see today. And uh, But he was a king um, and then after him, his his uh, things didn't go well after after he died, and so then the Romans made the province of Judea a, a truly Roman province with direct Roman rule through a governor. And the Herodians they wanted to see the Herodian system, the Herodian monarchy restored. And so you have two very different groups. You have the Herodians that are into political power. And the Pharisees, whose focus is more on the Word of God, the Word of God in the way they understood it, as I tried to explain, and they do go overboard, but they believe that religious purity was the key uh, for full restoration of the Jewish people and the eventual uh, uh, um, release of the Roman oppression and um, where they would be fully independent again. They believed it was not going to be through political power, but by religious observance, contrary to the Herodians. And so the the um, the temple leadership sends these two groups on purpose with a question that um, whichever way Jesus will answer this question will get him in trouble with either one of the two groups, as, as we will see here, verse, the beginning of verse 14. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. This sort of reminds me of the book of Job. Because this, um, maybe you're not aware of this, so in much of Job, you have Job's friends telling him what they think about his suffering. And if you take what they say out of context, it sounds all really, really wonderful and true. But they were applying it uh, wrongly to Job. Here, this is kind of different, uh, but similar in that, this is what a, this is a great... Um, great analysis of, of Jesus. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. Check. For you are not swayed by appearances. Check. But truly teach the way of God. So this this is right. But actually, this is um, hi- hypocritical flattery. They're just setting up for a, this difficult question that they think is going to get him into big trouble. So they didn't actually mean these nice words, but they still are true. Second half of verse 14. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we 
not. So now they go from this flattery thing to a real challenging question that it's either, you know, decide. It's either this or that. And so what they're talking about here is the issue of whether it's it's right or preferred or obligatory for the Jewish people to pay taxes to the pagan, ungodly, idolatrous, occupying force. And as I said, you can't win in this in this question game because of the different reactions that you're going to get uh, from not only the Pharisees and the Herodians, but you know the people that would side with either of those two viewpoints. So if he says no, no, it's no, we should not uh, pay taxes to Caesar. Um, and and by the way, this was a poll tax. And a poll tax is a, a tax put on a person. It has nothing to do with your income. It doesn't have to do with anything like that. It's just per person, you'd have to pay this tax. We're going to talk more about the coinage in a, in a moment, but they would have to use a, a Roman coinage to pay this tax. Um, and so it was very, very connected to the fact that Rome was the ungodly occupier of the land of Israel that had been promised by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. And so if Jesus says um, no, you know, does the very kind of pure spiritual kind of maybe, you know, or, you know, loyal to God and stand brave against the, the, um, and the, the oppressing force and this sort of thing, he'd get in big trouble with the Romans and, and he would be seen as a rebel. Um, and the Pharisees might prefer this, though they seem to be willing to compromise. But there's another group called the Zealots that um, would stand very, very harshly against paying such a tax. And uh, anyway, it would just be it'd be seen, in, even among the, the common people, they're looking for the Messiah who's going to be their new king. The, the greater than like David King that they'd been expecting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the idea that he would compromise by paying taxes to, to Caesar, this would, be, this would be horrible. They were looking for, for a, a different kind of character. But if he said if he, but if he said no, which would please a, one kind of person, um, it could just cause all sorts of trouble. Now, he's going to get into trouble, but it's, he doesn't want to get into trouble over this as it appears. But if he says yes, then uh, while the Herodians would prefer that kind of answer, it would get into trouble with, uh, with his, his, most of his fellow Jewish people. The Herodians were also Jewish, but they were more sided with Rome, an issue, a political issue like this. Um, let's, let's see how he responds, uh, first half of verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, first of all, he sees right through them. Uh, he Now, people have been reading this for 2,000 years. Like, so to us, we kind of get it right away. But being in that situation, uh, he was able to see that they were trying to trick him. And that's what he says. Why put me to, why put me to the test? He knows they're, they're, um, the question is disingenuous. They're only asking for trouble. Um he doesn't leave it at that. Second half of verse 15. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought brought one, verse 16, they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Now in the King James Version, 
where he says, bring me a denarius, the English word the translators chose was penny. In most modern translations, they leave it as the Greek term, denarius. Um, and so the denarius was um, Roman coinage, and it was a silver coin. So translating penny is just not really helpful. And it was most likely, it was worth a day's wage. So it was a significant amount of money. That's like That would be seen as a pretty heavy tax. Um, but what he does is he... He, as he does in, so often, is he, even though they're so disingenuous, he engages them. And he asks that, um, for, to see one, the, the coin that would be uh, given as the tax. And he asks them, whose likeness and, ins- and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. So this denarius probably had the image of Tiberius Caesar Augustus who was the second Roman emperor who reigned from AD 14 to 37, which is right at the time of this story. And the inscription in English reads, would read Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, which is, they they believed that the first Roman emperor had become a god after his death. So that would make the current emperor, Tiberius, according to the coin, the son of a god. Now this is just, this is really something. We have a phony claim of a son of a god, and, and, and who's dealing with this is the only true son of god. Um, what people would catch at that time, uh, we need to remember too that this would, this story of Mark, as I mentioned before, this is likely Peter's gospel that Mark heard Peter tell many, many times, and then Mark wrote it down. So the people who are reading or hearing this, this is after Jesus is risen from the dead, and the and the early believers are preaching him as the Son of God. And so what some of the things that the original participants in the story may not have caught the hearers and readers of the gospel are supposed to, as and we're we're some of those people two thousand years later, so we're supposed to hear that that echo. Now, there's three problems with the tax and the coin in particular that would have caused people like the Pharisees and especially the Zealots uh, a lot of trouble. First of all, Rome was the oppressing power, and it would be it's just so awful to think of having to help fund the oppressive pagan power. The second thing is that the coin had an image on it. And in Jewish thought, the image alone, that's idolatry. Whether that's the correct, precise biblical way to understand how idolatry works, they would see the image of a person on a coin as idolatry so these this would be like filthy money this is not anything really you should be touching and maybe you shouldn't be using it so it'd be they would have to and and they'd be looking for the messiah to release them from from such an endeavor and uh and so it this it 
it's difficult for us to catch of how horrible this thing would be in the hand of a Jewish person and being forced to pay such a thing to the oppressive power. It's very, very, it's discouraging. It's, 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 it's terrible, actually. And to make things worse, not so not only is it an image of the emperor, the Roman oppressive emperor on the coin, he's boasting himself like a god. So this is this is truly idolatry in the eyes of the Jewish people. And of course, it's blasphemous to have such an inscription. And we shouldn't have anything to do with, with objects like that. And yet sometimes God's people find themselves kind of stuck in these sorts of situations. And so the question is, do we compromise? Do we? What do we do with this? How do we handle this? And so this creates this huge dilemma, huge dilemma for the people of the day, whoever they are. And now there's probably this huge crowd. He's already uh, been firing. Uh, he just fired such a difficult parable at the temple leadership. And now all, so all, there's all these people around. It's also Passover time, and it's going to be Passover in a few days. There's huge crowds there, probably a lot of people gathering around. And now he's he's got this huge political issue and all these different feelings. And let's see what happens. So before we give Jesus' answer to the question, remember the question is, um, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? He asked for the coin. They, he asked them whose image is that, what's his inscription. They tell him, and then he gives an answer in verse 17. But before I give the answer, I want to I want to look at the end of verse 17, seeing how the people reacted. It says, and they marveled at him. He gives an answer, and they marveled at him. And there's there's this, these two Greek words that are used. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, that's where I get the idea of the remarkable gospel. People are amazed. They're dumbfounded. They're just amazing what's going on. They're flabbergasted, this sort of thing. In fact, one modern translation in this case uh, writes, uh, translates this, if I can find it here. Uh, where did it go? It was, oh, there it is. Uh, instead of, and they marveled at him to get the right feeling across it's their jaws dropped if you're listening to the audio you can't hear this but i'm 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 dropping my jaw they probably looked a little more perplexed overwhelmed than that but um the the reason why i mention this is we need to understand how astounding his answer is because if we aren't astounded by the answer, we probably don't really understand it. So here's what he says. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. It's one of the things about, you know, we tend to read the Bible with very little emotion. Um, I'm not sure how Jesus would, would say this, but it was mind-blowing. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, I'm guessing this answer is not very mind-blowing to people watching this, to you. When I was reading this and studying this, I have to admit, at first, not mind-blowing to me either. I didn't drop my jaw when I read, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And one of the reasons for that would be, I've heard this many times before, 
It's not new to me. Also, uh, you, like me, might associate this with this idea, a very modern idea, the separation of church and state, which actually is a very biblical concept. That's where it's derived. In the books of Moses, there was a separation between the priestly work and uh, the rulership of, of, of the land. As well, and there also was this thing called the rule of law in Torah, that even a king uh, had to obey the the instructions of God, the Torah of God, the law of God, just like everybody else. The king was not above God's word, not above God's law. That's the rule of law. And uh, so these concepts are derived from the Torah. Um, it It's taken uh, many societies a long time to understand this, and we're we might be losing some of these things today, but um, but the point is, it's easy for us simply to see that that's what he's saying here. He's saying there's well, there's a political thing, you know, take care of the political thing, and then you've got your spiritual or religious realm of life. So you know, you live in this society, and and you've got politicians and 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 that sort of thing, and and. Um, so you just got to take care of that stuff. It's not very comfortable. We don't like it. It's like put, just putting up with the, the evil, bad stuff in the world. And we just got to do that and, you know, give Caesar his due, that kind of idea, which is what he's saying, but we're going to see what it means in a second. And then, you know, then there's the separate spiritual life. And, and that seems to be what he's saying here. But there's way more going on than that. It's not going to take me that long to explain it. And, and first of all, when he says render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, the term translated render is, is give back to him his due. So there is this idea that, that while the, the Roman occupation was not preferred, they are providing services for the people and they're working in some ways on behalf, not always in the way that the Jewish people appreciated, but they're working on behalf of the people, keeping peace and all the rest. And they're, they deserve to be compensated for this necessary kind of work. Uh, also, there's the fact that it's his coin. It's see, it's his coin. It's got his face on it. It's his. So just give him back his his stuff. It's his stuff. Give him his stuff. That's not the most amazing part, though. The amazing part, the subversive part, is when he says, "And to God, the things that are God's." Well, again, to us, that just sounds, sure, right. Yeah, I get it. Well, do we? Remember when they challenged him, he wanted to see the coin and he he asked them, whose image is on the coin? And what does inscription say? And the image was of Caesar's. Okay, so give Caesar's his stuff. And then he said, and to God, the things that are God's. What's that about? Well, what's the image of God? Or should I say, who's the image of God? It's us. See, on the coin, they were obliged to pay was like a little idol. Give it to the idolaters. Give it back to them. Who's the image of God? It's you and me. It's everybody, actually. Human beings. We are the image of God. So when he's saying, give to God what is God's, what's he saying? 
he's saying, you know, pay that tax, but give all you've got. Give your whole selves to God and his work. Don't fret about the oppression. Do what I'm doing, says Jesus. In the midst of all the bad stuff going on, give yourself wholly to God. That's W-H, not you know, holy to God. <laughs> W-H-Holy, you know, your whole selves to God, which is also giving yourselves wholly to God, H-O-L-Y. As God's image, you know, so render to Caesar his image back to himself, render to God his image. Give yourself to God in every way. See, Jesus had come to bring a kind of freedom that they were not expecting. They thought the Messiah was going to beat off the Romans and restore independence to Israel and establish God's kingdom on earth, and then God's glory would pervade the entire planet. Now, that's still going to happen, but they thought it was going to happen when he came the first time. But he, he didn't do that. He did something better then beat up the Romans and, and break the power of Caesar. He Well, he did break Caesar's power, but not in a political sense. He broke Caesar's power by conquering death. Now, when he's telling them this in Mark 12, he hadn't died and risen from the dead yet. But when the story's being told to Peter's hearers, Mark's readers, including us, he's already broken the power of the oppressor. And so even today, while there's restrictions and oppression of different kinds and political intrigue and and who knows what, I don't even know what to think with all the information that we hear, and that in itself is oppressive because it's so confusing. The fact of the matter is because Jesus died and rose from the dead, we have been set free from the control of, of political powers and, 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 and idolatrous powers and the devil. We've been set free from the power of the devil. We are able to render to God the things that are God's. And the things that are God's is us. So in this subtle way, he's saying, you're fretting all about this tax thing? Would you need... Are, but are you really giving to God his due? You know, giving to Caesar his due, that's easy. It'd feel like it's not easy, but that's easy. How about giving yourself, render to God, to God, render to God the things that are God's, his image, yourselves. That's what we need to do. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you have set us free, that we are free to give you ourselves unrestricted, that you are not controlled by COVID restrictions, COVID itself, political issues, taxation, the, the economy, whatever it might be. But we have been set free by the death of your son is resurrection, to be able to give ourselves to you completely. Help us do that, Lord. Show us what we're holding back. Forgive us for that. 
And may we render to you ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.